Hello and welcome to 8pixel radio. Today we have... Hi, I'm Rebecca. I am a designer from Trinidad and Tobago. I am currently based in Buenos Aires. I am the co-founder of Queer Design Club and I'm an art director at Ghost Note Agency, which is an agency based in Washington, D.C., uh, USA. I have lots of questions about everything you just said. Firstly, I'm so ready. <laughs> firstly, how, how do you manage time zones? I think that's an impossible thing for most people. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, luckily, Buenos Aires is only like um, usually one hour ahead of the ET time zone. So it's not too bad. Uh, In the daylight savings times, it is two hours. So I get to actually have a nice relaxing morning. um, And I don't start work usually until around 12. So usually in the mornings, I go out with my partner. We take our dog for a walk. uh, We'll get coffee. On Thursday mornings, we do pottery class, which is something I look forward to every week. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of like the time zone. I mean, I kind of enjoy working, like starting later and ending a little bit later because I really like, I'm a morning person. So I really love um, being able to have that morning time. But yeah, so far the time zones haven't proven to be an issue. Right, uh, I'm envious of that. Uh, and secondly- <laughs> Yeah, a little different when you're in London, right? Yeah, exactly. Secondly, how did you, how did you end up building the queer design club it's a great question so i mean i grew up in trinidad i mean this is a really long story but we're we have the time so i'm excited (laughs) um i grew up in trinidad and really in trinidad we have like no you know no real large queer community like we have queer people we have a queer population but there's because of the very colonial um historical like parts of our country that were previously an English colony, um, you know, there's a lot of like grandfathered uh, homophobia that is not just in our laws, but really in the mindsets of a lot of like older people. So it's hard to find that design, um, not design community, that that queer community that you're looking for and, and much less a design queer community, right? So I had left Trinidad, I'd went to school in New York and I had, um, I'd been looking for like, you know, just to meet other LGBTQ designers, people that enjoyed the same things I do people that want to nerd out about type and also like go have a drink at a gay bar and I was finding it really hard to find those people um and this was before even before the pandemic you know when people were still doing things in real life uh and I came across you know a lot of queer people on Twitter and that was kind of where I first got the idea of like there there could be some online space some online community that that can be crafted to hold all these people and bring these conversations together um and that's where I met John who is my co-founder and we kind of put heads together and decided to you know found a slack space and and found a website that that proves to be a directory for people to be represented as a LGBTQ designer um because it turns out a lot of people were looking for the same thing that we were I think that a lot of communities Sometimes people find them by accident, as in create them by accident, and then realize, hang on, there's actually loads of people in the exact totally. same position as me. And it's that, that sort of validation comes over time. But I think fundamentally, if you have an idea about a community, create one. There's probably one, at least one other person who's interested in hanging out with you. Totally. I mean, we had no idea who we were creating the community for at the beginning. I mean, you know, John and I were kind of like, yeah, we, we each know a handful of queer people that we could get to join this Slack, and I'm sure that'll be fine. But Um, before we even launched the full website you know we had like a simple capture page and over 50 people had signed up to just be to like have a directory and we're like okay this is a this is kind of cool like 50 people want to join us on this 
adventure we're about to go on meeting strangers on the internet. So like, let's do it. Um, and, you know, two, two years later, we have over 3000 people in our Slack and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. We could talk about this all day, but we have five questions to get to. So shall we, <laughs> shall we jump into our questions? Okay. Let's do it. Question one. What one song or album can you listen to on repeat? So I um, love a lot of like dance hall, reggae, anything from the Caribbean. That's just my vibe. And um, the past year throughout the pandemic, I've really just been listening to this one album by an artist called Protégé. He's a Jamaican um, reggae artist. And his music is just so poignant. His lyrics speak about like the, the idea of like coming from, you know, the Caribbean and kind of the struggles that you have to go through to make a name for yourself and um, for your family and, and the things that, that really are Caribbean struggles. And I like that. So that's that album. Um, the name of the album is In Search of Lost Time has always been on repeat for me in the past year. It's something that I listen to like when I'm happy, when I'm sad, uh, when I just want music in the background. Um, it's kind of a multi, multi-faceted, <laughs> multi-dimensional album in that way. Um, and then there's one song, not by Protégé, but by a similar uh, Jamaican artist. His name is uh, Chronix, who I also really love. Chronix has some of the best music that I've ever heard. And he has one song called Skankin' Sweet. And Skankin' Sweet is like, Skankin is just a, a Jamaican Caribbean term and, and this song is really about being grateful for everything that you have, right? So after you, you've worked a hard day, you have all these stresses, all these worries, but like you come home and you turn on that song and everything just fades away, right? And, and that's kind of what this music does for me. So I feel like that song is very um, meta in that way that, yeah. that just makes me feel grateful for my life. And regardless of what's going on, it's a, it's a feel good song, so. Yeah, there's something. Yeah incredible about music that soothes you and it sounds like that is effectively like a, a nice long warm bath for yes, you every exactly. single moment where you put on yeah, your headphones yeah i mean i don't know if you listen to any reggae music louis but i feel like reggae has a, has a particular vibe of that it's like it's very calming um even if you look back to like bob marley days right like he's singing about you know redemption song three little birds like there, there are songs that are meant to make you feel good so I feel yeah. like that that has always been a thread with reggae for me, at least. Yeah, actually, two weeks ago, I went to see the Bob Marley musical. So I am interested. Nice. In it. It was That's awesome. Fantastic. So if anybody's in London, go and watch it. It's a really good musical and you'll be dancing wow. the whole time. I promise you. It's amazing. Nice. Uh, the next question is actually a random question. I haven't asked you to prepare for this one. So I am interested to see how you approach it. It's not tricky. I promise you. The, the question is. What year was Microsoft founded? Oh, Microsoft was founded, must have been like in the 90s or was it the 80s? Um, I'm going to go with like late 80s, early 90s. I don't have the particular year, but I feel like somewhere in that range. Are you, are you locking that in? That's my final answer. What do you say? <laughs> okay, so um, unfortunately, you're wildly out. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> the Microsoft, bizarrely, was, well, maybe not bizarrely, was founded in 1975. Oh, wow. 75. Yeah. But were they making computers in 75 or were honestly, they doing something different? Honestly, I don't know. Either 
computers pre-existed anything everyone anyone ever knew or somebody's edited their wikipedia and made a, oh, wow. a false claim here <laughs> 1975 apparently 4th That's of awesome. april 1975 it does make bill gates pretty old but He's it checks old. out it checks out <laughs> all right well awesome. we, yeah. we had a go uh, we didn't land there, but you I, gave it your best I shot, and that's all that I matters. I didn't win the million. You did didn't I? win the million. You won two million. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, next question. A little bit more serious, uh, so we can park okay. the, the gates. Um, what do you find yourself having to consistently convince other people of? Wow, we went from like very funny to very heavy, didn't we? <laughs> um, I'm, uh, that's a really good question. And I think that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Core Design Club is like, you know, after we founded this community, I've had to kind of convince people that this is something that's worth, like, it's not just a social space, right? It's a community worth investing in. So now as we have the the kind of like let me say mvp slash proof of concept slash we have like you know this starter community of like the people that we we we've already accumulated and i'm thinking about like what is the bigger next step for qvc and how do you really get this to be not more than just a slack space how do we get this to be a thing that really becomes uh, a valuable organization for young designers in their career right what can we provide to people that are resources uh, that are um, helpful tips and tricks that are access to mentors access to opportunities um, access to really figuring out how to be yourself in an industry that is always trying to make you be something else um, what does that mean for you as a young core designer who's trying to get into the design industry. So that's something that I'm constantly trying to convince people that, you know, this thing that, yes, we started as a social space and yes, we started as just a directory and we didn't really have all the plans figured out before, but now we're trying to, you know, really find a, a model to go forward to really turn this into something more than what it is now. Um, and that's that's something that I feel is, is has to be rooted in community, right? Like I'm not necessarily looking for a business model that like is a CEO and like executive leadership, but I want us to find a model that is like collectively empowering the people that are part of this community. Something that is collectively like helping everybody get paid, right? Not just the one or two people who can take on work or, or different things, but how can we find something that is equally beneficial to everyone that participates in this community on a daily basis or on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis, right? Like, so that's something that I'm, I'm always trying to advocate for is like, I think in, in this next decade of, of our life, especially our lives on the internet, we're going to see a real focus on community and we're going to see a real focus on how communities empower people to feel better and therefore do better work. Um, and, and I think that's something that I'm, I'm constantly trying to convince people of is invest now, because like when the communities start to take off, it's going to be much harder to build an authentic community because you're just kind of going to be scrambling to do what everyone else is doing. Meanwhile, we have the builders today who are doing those very genuine, authentic communities. And, um, you know, they deserve more credit. They deserve more recognition. And they definitely deserve your, your investment dollars because they're working really, really hard. Yeah, the, the challenge, I suppose, is that community naturally lands at a position where the loudest are the loudest. And we don't want yeah. to re recreate the poorly set up social structures that you're trying to effectively exactly. uh, deconstruct. So how do you exactly. reward somebody who maybe just doesn't want to chat all the time, but is still yeah. deserving of space and uh, yeah. stature and recognition and referral and all that sort of thing? It's a challenge for sure.
Yeah, I mean, I think the the hard thing for capitalism is that community isn't a business, and that's exactly why it's not given the same amount of attention, right? Community is not making us an ROI, but it can. And I think that's the thing. It doesn't make an ROI necessarily in direct dollars in your bank account, but it's going to make an ROI because you're investing in your people and you're actually telling people that, hey, I care about how you feel. They care about you having a space with like-minded people for you to celebrate, for you to vent, for you to express yourself and be in community with people that you want to be in community with. And I think that's the real challenge is that like, one, it's hard to find your community, but also it's hard to maintain and sustain a community because it's by its nature and not a money-making thing. Um, and to your point, like, yeah, we, we are trying to decolonize all of the bad structures of community that currently exists, right? And that's kind of exactly why Queer Design Club came to be. That's why where the Black designers come to be, Latinx who design, because like, this is us very intentionally crafting a space for ourselves in an industry that has constantly left us out, right? We don't have a space for LGBTQ people to come together and say, hey, I was misgendered by my boss every single day that I worked at that job and I'm traumatized. Like, I don't want to get another job in design because I'm afraid that this is going to be my experience. Where do, where do people go to deal with that, right? Um, and so that's kind of where we step in and we want to be that community, that resource, that go-to space uh, to really find people who can support you in that way and who genuinely care about your growth, you know? At the same time, I think if we roll back to the early internet days of, I guess, late 90s, early 2000s, community was mostly a volunteering, a volunteer space where people just yep. come out to hang out and it yeah. wasn't always, I need to be earning something from this. And that's probably exactly. a really important lesson to think about when, whenever we're doing anything, whether that is setting up a Twitter space, setting up a community, setting up a Slack, Slack space, whatever, is that maybe you don't need to earn from it. It's just kind of somewhere where you're giving back. Uh, and it's really yeah. important, particularly as people get more and more experienced in, in their careers to think, you know what, I'm actually earning enough money right now. I don't need to squeeze every single hour of my day into a dollar. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the pandemic has really shown us that need for community right so outside of just like your nine to five like who are you interacting with who are you spending time with how are you really like nourishing that social part of yourself when you can't be social physically right um so that's something that we've really you know we've seen a, an uptick of people coming and looking for community space because they've never had the opportunity to do that in real life yet because of the pandemic um yeah. A really great example is just a lot of students who have graduated design programs this year and not been able to go out and get an internship or, or meet other recently graduated LGBTQ designers or, or designers at all. Yeah. Um, and there are people who, you know, they're looking for resources like, what does it mean to have my first job? What does it mean to, to do these things? And um, I'm really proud that we've been able to be that resource for them. Amazing, amazing work. All right, let's jump on to the next question. The, yeah. the next question is, what's the best thing that you've never worked on? It's a great question. Um, and I was actually saving an answer for this from the previous convo, but um, I'm going to say an idea and I hope nobody uh, steals it. If anybody steals it, please come to me and I'm happy to collaborate. I guess. <laughs> but I really, really want to put together a conference called Community Conference. And this is something I've been noodling on for the past couple of months uh, of just like how to make this happen. But in my role at Core Design Club, you know, I've spoken to 
dozens of other founders of, of similar design communities. So for example, um, you know, Mitzi from Where the Black Designers, I spoke to Mary Hemingway of Woman by Design and just many other people who are in a similar position of like, hey, you know, we have these amazing communities and within our communities, we're having incredible conversations. We're having conversations about how we can transform the industry, how we can really position ourselves in a way that our people are best represented. And the thing that I've realized is we're all having these conversations in our own spaces, right? In our own lanes. But there's no global platform for us to really come together and talk about these things intersectionally. Um, from a perspective that's not necessarily about diversity and inclusion, but it's just about giving Black, queer, brown, Latin, all these different people and all these different identities that are underrepresented and uh, traditionally left out, giving them a space to really talk about the issues that are bothering them. I, it's, it's, maybe it's a design conference, maybe it's not a design conference, but maybe it's just a place where everybody who have these design communities can come together and just talk candidly about what the industry is doing and where they're at and, and you know, really get down to what is the goal of this diversity and inclusion initiative. I think this is something that people have really thrown around in the past couple of years and there's no meaning to it. Everyone has a different definition of what DEI means and uh, those are driven one by internal goals of a company, by external goals of a company. It's, 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 it's challenging and it's nuanced. And I feel like the people who should be talking about this are the people who are actually doing the work. So Core Design Club, Latinx Who Design, API Who Design, where the Black designers, Blacks Who Design, everybody. Um, there's so many, so many sub-communities that I want to bring together under one stage, one umbrella, and like just facilitate amazing, amazing conversations. And I think so many people would pay to, to, to witness that, so. That's our kind of a community of communities. Exactly, yeah, community club. Um, the, that, that's like my goal for the next couple of years. I don't know how I'm gonna make it, but this, me saying it into this podcast is me manifesting it into the world, so. It's officially minted now. Exactly, somewhere. I've minted my idea. And if anybody steals it, I'm coming back to this podcast. I'm gonna say, I said this first, <laughs> Louise my it. witness. We have it documented <laughs> here. That's a really nice idea. Um, I would certainly like to attend whatever that is, but it, whether it's a, I think conference is a heavy word, but whether it's something like yeah, yeah exactly, conference uh, is a, a heavy space, word. A space where people can hang out and exchange stories and make connections yeah. that are worthwhile. Yeah, I want to call it like a like a kickback or something because it's very casual and it's meant it's not meant to be stuffy and full of speaker notes. Yeah. And it's just yeah. meant to be very candid conversations. So great, we'll Love we'll, it. we'll hold on to that. Love that idea. All right, thank you very much. The, the next section is actually a word from our sponsors. And this episode is proudly brought to you by the Hovering Art Director, because there's nothing quite like spending days, weeks, months, crafting your perfect response to a brief for someone with maybe a little bit more seniority than you, asking you to shift something to pixel left to the left, or maybe make the logo bigger, or hey, can we just like invert the colors of this thing, even though you spent weeks and months on it? And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. The fourth oh, question. I hate those hovering. <laughs> <laughs> Is it you? Is that you? Have I just, uh, no, you no. I, I hopefully, I hope not. Uh, I hope my team doesn't hear this and think I am, but hopefully I am not. 
Great. That's, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> right. Which means we can smoothly roll into the fourth question, which is what would your last meal be? So this is a really good question and it's really tough because I have two answers. Okay. So one is definitely my mom's uh, white rice dal and curry chicken that nice. she would cook at home in Trinidad. I just like, it's my comfort food. It's my everything. I can also cook it, but it doesn't taste as good as mom's, you know, like just like mom's home cooking is the best. Um, the second thing is definitely dim sum. Like okay. I would eat dim sum any, any hour of the day, morning, noon, and night. I can eat it for breakfast. Like I love uh, hargao, shumai, all these different, you know, cuts of dumplings, cuts of dumplings, oh, uh, all these different dumplings <laughs> options. I, I'm going to, from this day forward, refer to your dumpling as a cut of dumpling. And, a cut and... of dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think you're, you're kind of putting it into uh, oat cuisine levels when you start talking about cuts. And right. Maybe yeah, some no. deserves to be at that level. We're just it, not giving it, it that it respect. It definitely does. It definitely does because dim sum is delicious. Um, but yeah, you should, if you've, if any listeners have never had dim sum, please go find your closest dim sum parlor in your town, city, state, country. I promise you, you will not regret it. I, I can plus one on that. I reckon we could do a starter and main situation here, but there are two entire meals. I know, they're so different. Which, which one would you have first? <laughs> Honestly, I might have the dim sum as an appetizer because it's like smaller. Yeah. And then I'll take a break and then I'd have the curry. There's no time limit here. So this could be an entire There's day. No time limit. Exactly. Is the is the dim sum being brought to you on a little trolley? Yes. Someone wheeling this in. That is key. It's it's being wheeled in. I'm in jail in this situation, right? You because are. You are. this is my last meal before <laughs> my execution. <Yeah. laughs> It's a really light meal. Uh, well, it would definitely be like, I would have them fly in dim sum from China in that case. I'd be like, fly it in. Or fly uh, you to China in the South. Yes, that too. Um, and I would want them to bring it to me in the cell with the cart, with all of the bamboo steamers. It should still be hot because obviously you can't have cold dim sum. Um, and my chopsticks. And then I will proceed to eat that. And then after my mom's curry. Having the curry. I, I <laughs> would actually like from to, my house. I would like to eat this curry as well. Is there anything going on the side of this? On the cur on the side of the curry? The curry, yeah. So it's usually it's usually curry chicken and then you have like white rice and you have dal. And she usually makes like maybe like a green salad on the side. Um it's yeah, it's delicious. What kind of heat are we going for in the curry? Hot. Uh, and Trini Trinidadian people love their food hot. I'm sure you, if you've ever met a Trini in London, which maybe you have, maybe you haven't, um, Trinidadian people love pepper sauce. So it's going with hot sauce, hot pepper. Um, it's a yellow curry, just if I haven't mentioned that. And it's delicious. I have many hot sauces in my fridge as well. Um, I'm also mm. addicted to it. Um, so I would, I, I'm in I the camp send you a. I should send you a Trinidadian hot sauce. That would be amazing. We can hook that up. I would love to. Sure. Um, you haven't mentioned any drinks. Ooh, Coca-Cola, 100%. Okay. I am addicted to Coca-Cola, and it's really sad. Which, which variety? <laughs> Just regular Coca-Cola in, in the can. 
Um, if if we can get a glass bottle, that would be amazing because yeah. everybody knows a glass bottle Coke is the number one. Um, but I'll take a very ice cold can as as an alternate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some sparkling water. San so if, if somebody if, if somebody slides a Pepsi in front of you, what's happening? No, <laughs> no. You know, it's so funny because you go to a restaurant, you ask for a Coke, and they're like, "Is Pepsi okay?" And I'm the person who will say, "Actually, no, it's not." <laughs> <laughs> it's really I'm leaving not the okay restaurant. to give me a Pepsi. Um, I will. I will rather have a Seven Up over Pepsi, okay. um, and a Coke over a Sprite. Okay. We can we can sort that. Out. And anything for dessert? I know you've had two entire meals, but God, will I have room for dessert? I guess it doesn't matter if I'm going to my execution. Doesn't matter. No, sir. <laughs> um, for dessert, for dessert. Since we're traveling the world, I mean, I'll have like an Italian panna cotta. I'm not gonna. Okay. Not holding I mean, I'm here. definitely gonna have a stomachache after this. Doesn't this matter, does it? <laughs> but um, I would definitely go for like an Italian panna cotta, or yeah, I think, or an apple pie, or an apple pie. Very nice and light apple pie. One of the two. After your light any of meal. The two. <laughs> Maybe you could do actually like two sittings where you have the dim sum and the panna cotta, then you've got your curry and your apple pie as your. As your as the as the second meal second meal of the meal, I uh, I would sign up for this meal. I'll be honest with you. I would I would have that. I'm I'm grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the the sort of jail situation, have you considered what crime you would have committed? It's a great question. I feel like the crime would be something probably related to like protesting or like yelling at someone for doing something wrong or like stand somehow standing up for someone's rights I feel like that would really be and I say this just because I am definitely afraid of the police like as a as a person of color as an immigrant my whole life I've always been definitely afraid of the police even if it's like you pull me over because I was like speeding I don't care I'm afraid <laughs> um so I usually probably wouldn't interact or do a crime to get put in jail. But I think if I were to get put in jail, it would probably be for um, standing up for someone's rights or my own rights. I think that is a very fair answer. It's not, yeah, I went and murdered a hundred people. I, I think you've been very- You know what? Sometimes I feel like it, but I think <laughs> it's out of my range. <laughs> we will not I'd rather eat that comment some. today. <laughs> uh, we'll mark that one. We'll go with the protest. I think that is a very fair thing to be thrown in the clink for. Okay, last question. We're at the last question already. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the most important question, really. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> Straight in. Fuck is my favorite curse word. I feel like it has so much range. It has so much variety. Um, and in Trinidad, we also use fuck in a lot of different ways. So you, like we use fuck as like, you know, uh, excitement, like I'm so fucking happy or you use fuck is like that when you're mad, like that fucking guy, like fuck that person. Um, I feel like fuck is a great word for just a range of expressions and emotions and kind of like fits into all of the different, you know, needs that you have for a curse word. Yeah. Very versatile. It goes with anything. Very diverse. Yep. Just like a plate of dim sum goes with anything really, doesn't it? There you go. Full circle. Excellent. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed that. yourself. You. Uh, we went, yeah. on some, went on some routes there. I really, really enjoyed it. 
<laughs> no, I enjoyed it. This is a really, really fun podcast. I've listened to, you know, a few other episodes, but it's it's always good to see the making of because I don't know. Do you just go one edit, one take, or do you edit it down? Or usually what's your process? I just don't edit. It's a conversation. There we go. I love it. It's, yeah. it's no filter. No filter. And <laughs> sometimes I figure that's how I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going well, to say like, something on a no filter podcast and get filtered. This is the beauty of it because yeah, context is important for everything we do. I, I get tripped up with it at work all the time where something you say in a Slack channel is pop copied into another Slack channel. It's like, yeah. what did you mean? Well, obviously not what you've just said. But there's, if you cut and edit your life, you don't tr- represent your true self or you don't get represented as your true self. Uh, so yeah. I, this, this, this podcast is supposed to be a conversation live with two people who are just having fun, kicking back. There could be a beer in your hand. You could be having fun. Yeah, Rather than it I being like that. a super high polished um, marketable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just generally my approach to anything, everything really is authenticity, I think. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's great because I think that's what people really want, right? Like we're kind of over the overly polished or over the, we're, we're like a generation that's post, post perfect. And I think people really like are looking for that relatable, that genuine, that authentic side of other humans, because it's something that you so rarely get to actually see uh, from people in positions of, you know, that get to do podcasts or people that get to be public speakers. And I feel like this is something that goes back to why people are so longing for communities because for so long we've, we've been told by the media what we should be and what we should look like and what we should do and how we should act and how we, what's the best way to do things. But I think we're, like I said, in this post-perfect world where we actually are seeking the antithesis of that. Like when you look at things like TikTok, it's the opposite of Instagram, right? Where it's like on Instagram, everything is perfectly polished. The influencers are doing hashtag SpawnCon, hashtag ad, like, ooh, buy my water. And on TikTok, it's very much the opposite where people are like, this is me just real. This is me was recording a TikTok, fucked it up, and now it went viral. Like didn't mean for that to happen. Taped my mom making dinner, didn't mean for that to happen. So yeah. I, I definitely think that we're we're in a world where this type of conversation is is very very valuable. I think if you throw into the mix, um, design celebrity, I guess is a good phrase. Mm. It's, it's not realistic. It's uh, no. people are real, and that actually can have a really negative impact on the the person who is the celebrity because that you can get crippled by what am I supposed to say right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to have a comment on this thing that's happening. Yeah. Because I'm an authority. And you're like, no, you're, you're right. actually not. You're just a person <laughs> doing your exactly. everyday life. And, and, and you honestly may not have an opinion on some things. Like, there are so many things I think we look to, you know, like you said, design celebrities or design leaders to have an opinion about, right? So a company rebranded. What do you think about this thing? Is it good? Is it bad? And I'm like, I actually don't have an opinion. I actually think it's great for them, yeah. for whoever did it, and great. Awesome. I don't have uh, a, a, yeah. an opinion at all. The world um, has enough opinions. I know it's it's hard, but I feel like as des- the design industry has this thing where we we always are seeking validation, right? For like everything that we do, and I think that's just part of our nature as designers because we produce things that 
we want to know other people care about. Um, it's we're always looking for other people's opinions on what do you think about this and what do you think about that and what do you think about this thing that this person made and you know, like you said, there's a lot of opinions out there in the world, and it's 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 really interesting when when you are in a position that people are now listening to you, and when and how you use your voice becomes really important. And to your to your earlier point, I think that can become crippling in a lot of situations, and that can also be a really powerful tool to use to advocate for others who can't advocate for themselves. So, guess it's a double-edged sword being a yeah. hashtag quote-unquote design celebrity <laughs> design influencer i think that design influencer what you just said is is potentially a crux of this uh, or a solution i guess is if you don't know what to say promote somebody else's opinion who who maybe doesn't get the same space or validation as you mm-hmm. because re- regardless of whether you have one 10 20 years experience working at small startup or twitter or whatever doesn't mean you're any better you're just in a different situation and you're probably great at your job regardless of whether a hundred thousand people follow you or not absolutely absolutely and it's also not all about the work right yeah it's not all about the work i mean you know you can make great work but if you can't get along with people collaborate on a team and just bring a good vibe like people ultimately are not going to want to work with you so it's all of that it's all it's all about just being yourself being you being bringing your authentic self to work and, and doing that, you know, that's kind of what I want to embody for young queer designers that are seeking that in the industry. And for anybody who has questioned themselves, like just, just be you. Yeah. Which I think realistically is everybody. Literally who hasn't, but I, it's, I it's do a lot easier. Time. It's a lot easier for certain people to put that mask on, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because everybody else's mask kind of looks the same. Yeah. Has anyone ever interviewed you, you Louis? I want to know. I want to know like your answers to these things. You, you, have, oh, yeah. to, you have to do an eight pixel episode with Louis, <laughs> where I do like a split screen of myself. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't, um, I haven't thought about it that much. Yeah. I, I'm much more comfortable interrogating other people than answering questions myself. If somebody is asking me anything. I'm like, hmm, let me come back to you in a week. <laughs> I'm think wow. about that. Uh, I'm, my, like, my crippling trait is that I need to be prepared for everything. Mm. And if I'm not, I feel very uncomfortable, which okay. is like an overthinking problem. Yeah. So even something as simple as like, what album? Is like, uh, I have 500 i know i did i did give a quick glance through my spotify before this and i was like which am i gonna pick which am i gonna say yeah (laughs) i I think it'd probably i'd probably go for kanye west album okay but which which one a specific one a specific uh, era of of mr uh, west i think just because of the impact in my life uh, maybe something like 808s 808s or frank ocean blonde or Radiohead in Rainbows, mm. maybe. All good options. The Frank Ocean is a top tier album for sure. Yeah, it's just uh, like give me give me a decade that I'm not selecting the album from, and I'll, and I'll do it. But Damn. one album, yeah, it's because it changes every year, I think. And I have a habit of over listening. Yeah, I feel that way too. 
Did what was your okay? This is my random question for you, and then I swear this is the last one. What was your number one artist on your Spotify Wrapped? I actually think it was um, Arlo Parks. Nice, yes. I had had have been binging her album. Love that. Like three Love songs that. on the album. I've just been binging. That's yeah. What it. song? What's What's your favorite uh, song out of those three? Car- Caroline. Caroline is an incredible tune because it's about a couple arguing at a bus stop in Soho in London and you can just see it I love that I'm gonna put that on my on my playlist if you so I would recommend reading the lyrics Mm -hmm. because you don't hear the lyrics when you're hearing the song and it wasn't until my brother said to me have you actually read the lyrics of this song they're really really good I was like no I haven't Uh, and I did and I was like whoa this is really good I also like to um write little things <laughs> i don't know what mm. they're called poems or skits or whatever. It. and it, i was reading them thinking that's achievable not that i'd ever I love that. write my own album but it's, it's when got, it felt hey, like never say never never say never okay because she was a poet you might write first. your own album yeah she was a spoken word poet first yeah and there's a guy I've, called george, I've, I've george the poet as well who does the same um, yeah that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And there's, um, so on the note of like Kanye West, Frank Ocean, there's an excellent podcast called Dissect. I don't know if you've heard mm, of it. I've heard of it. And he takes albums one by one and interrogates the lyrics and tells you the context and everything. He's currently doing Mac Miller, who I actually oh, haven't listened to really. I've listened to a couple of songs before. And it's the album that he released just before he died. Yeah. Swimming. He hooked me straight away because mac miller decided or communicated that he wanted the album to sound like water i was like Mm -hmm. oh my god that's good yeah listen to all of this right now kind of thing wow i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna listen to these episodes about mac miller because mac miller is actually one of my favorite artists uh when i was a teen i was actually convinced that i was going to marry mac miller at one point in my life um that's how deep it ran and uh, he is my favorite, one of my favorite rappers. And I think that, you know, gone too soon, but he's left some really, really, really big musical influences on the world. Um, and I'm so grateful to have listened to him while he was around. Yeah, the, the style of the boxing is, I'm, if somebody's got that style, I'm in. You don't even yeah. need to know you, you should listen to more. You should also listen to his earlier stuff like uh, Blue Slide Park, okay. The Kids Mixtape. He's got some really good stuff, even from the beginning of his career up to the end. Um, amazing stuff. Even his posthumous album, Circles, was really, really good. So Yeah. Well, I'll, this is my my gateway in, and I'm sure I'll be, I'm sure I'll be hooked. Uh, in yeah. Time.